This is a book club where you don't actually have to read the book. Sign me up. At the Bible Book Club, we read it to you. And this book can change your life. So can we be the first to say, Welcome to the club. Well, if you are still with us after last episode... They would not leave us. It was a lot. A lot. But it was a lot of ground that we covered because Susan is this episode going to do the big reveal. The reveal. Why does God care and why did he give them all these directions on how to build the tabernacle? Because this one is titled, Moses has the plan, but Paul has the missing piece. So we're going to find out. Last episode, we went through all of the three parts of the laws, the ceremonial law, the tabernacle, and all the plans that God made and how they should build it, how exactly they should build it. And the plan that everything they were supposed to put in at the ark, the table, the bread of the presence, the lampstand, curtains, the bronze altar, a whole lot of really heavy metal. And they have to carry this thing around. It's mobile. And they carry it all over while they're camping. All over the desert. (laughs) I know. I don't know how they do it. All right. Chapter 28 and 29 is what we're going to cover today. And this is a continuation of the ceremonial laws. Moses is still up on that mountain, remember, 40 days and 40 nights, and he's capturing a lot of information about the plans for the tabernacle. In this episode, we're going to turn from the tabernacle to the priests serving in the tabernacle with a the detail of the bejeweled clothes that the high priest wore and the gruesome ordination of the priests, which was a seven-day slaughtering. This is one of those parts where you go, why, God? But we're going to get to it. All right, let's talk about the importance of the priests. Up until this point in the Bible, there have been several mentions of individual priests, including Jethro, the Midianite priest, who was Moses' father-in-law that we read about in Exodus. And in Genesis, it was only Melchizedek who's mentioned in Genesis 14, which we covered in season one, episode 14, who was said to be a priest of God most high. So he's the only one of the priest mentions that we can say, okay, he must have been like the Israel's God. The old covenant priests stood between the holy, untouchable presence of God in the tabernacle and the ordinary Israelites. They served as mediators between God and the people. The priests sacrificially atoned for the sin of the people. And the high priest also served as a voice of God's revelation to the people. Only the high priest could enter the most holy place. Individuals could not enter the holy or most holy place, so they could not enjoy God's holy presence. They could not enter the tabernacle, the place where heaven met earth and God's presence could be felt. As a result, their worship experience was limited. It was flat. It was sadly undimensional. And that is going to be a problem that Paul is going to solve for us. So chapter 28 starts with the priest's sacred garments. Have Aaron, your brother, brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithmar, so they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. Tell all the skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration, so he may serve me as priest. These are the garments they are to make, a breast piece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his son, so they may serve me as priests." 
Have them use gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen. You can Google a picture of what this looked like. We may have one in the show notes. I'm going to try to put one there. But the purpose of the clothes was to give the priests dignity and honor because this was a very high office. The clothes are designed to parallel the materials of the tabernacle. You heard it, gold, blue, purple, red, reflecting and not detracting from the order and holiness of the tabernacle. Hey, and if they really wanted to hide, they could just back up against the curtains and nobody would see them. (laughs) Nobody would see them. There were eight garments, four inner garments worn by all priests, the tunic, undergarment or breeches, girdle or sash, and headband. Then there were four special overgarments worn only by Aaron, the breastpiece, the ephod, the robe, and the turban. What is an ephod? We're going to get to that. You're going to oh. read that right now. Well, <laughs> there you go. let me just tell you all what an ephod is. <laughs> Make the ephod of gold and of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of finely twisted linen, the work of skilled hands. It is to have two shoulder pieces attached to two of its corners so it can be fastened. Its skillfully woven waistband is to be like it, of one piece, with the ephod, and made with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and with finely twisted linen. Make two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, in the order of their birth, six names on one stone and the remaining six on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones, the way a gem cutter engraves a seal. Then... Mount the stones in gold filigree settings and fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Aaron is to bear the names on his shoulders as a memorial before the Lord. Make gold filigree settings and two braided chains of pure gold like a rope and attach the chains to the settings. It looks like an apron, but not like an apron that just goes on your waist. An apron that has, you know, a bib at the top, kind of with suspenders. And depending on who is drawing it, it it has no sleeves and it's very colorful. Is it kind of like what priests and Catholicism wear today, sort of? Like they have sashes and stuff? No. No, no. no, Different. It's different, but it's really pretty. And there are two stones on it with the 12 tribes. And I think it's really cool how God builds the tribes into what they wear so they it reminds them of who they're representing. Okay. So next, the breast piece. Fashion a breast piece for making decisions. The work of skilled hands. Make it like the ephod of gold and of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and of finely twisted linen. It is to be square, a span long and a span wide, and folded double. Then mount four rows of precious stones on it. The first row shall be carnelian, chrysolite, and beryl. The second row shall be turquoise, lapis lazuli, and emerald. The third row shall be hyacinth, agate, and amethyst. The fourth row shall be topaz, onyx, and jasper. Mount them in gold filigree settings. There were to be twelve stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the twelve tribes. For the breast piece, make braided chains of pure gold like a rope. Make two gold rings for it and fasten them to two corners of the breast piece. Fasten the two gold chains to the rings at the corners of the breast piece and the other ends of the chains to the two settings, attaching them to the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front. Make two gold rings and attach them to the other two corners of the breast piece on the inside edge next to the ephod. Make two more gold rings and attach them to the bottom of the shoulder pieces on the front of the ephod, close to the seam, just above the waistband of the ephod. 
ephod. The rings of the breast piece are to be tied with the rings of the ephod with a blue cord, connecting it to the waistband so that the breast piece will not swing out from the ephod. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breast piece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. Also, put the Urim and the Thummim in the breast piece so they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus, Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. That's sweet. I know. The breast piece is like a really large necklace to me, but it's a square that kind of fits right up against their chest. And it has these four chains that then the two top chains connect it to the shoulders of the ephod and the two bottom chains connect it to the waist of the ephod. So it holds it in place. Um, and, And it's a pocket. It's actually a folded piece of fabric that's a pocket. And on the outside are all these jewels sewn to it. And each jewel represents one of the 12 tribes. Then in the pocket is the Urim and Thummim, which represent light and integrity. They were possibly used to determine God's will. They don't give a lot of descriptions. A lot of the commentaries say this was probably something that was used before this point, And so everybody knew what it was. And that's why Moses didn't explain it. It could be like casting lots, but what they look like and how they functioned, we just don't know. They were just in there because the high priest, like I said before, was also um, uh, one of his tasks was to help guide and make decisions for the Israelites. Now, on the square, like I said, there are these 12 different jewels and the gold chains and the jewels represent those 12 tribes who we know from Exodus 19.5 are described as God's treasured possession. So everything he weaves into the garments and the tabernacle itself really point back to words that God has said that he wants them to remember. All right, the robe. The robe goes under the ephod. Verse 31, make the robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth with an opening for the head in its center. There shall be a woven edge like a collar around its opening so that it will not tear. Make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn around the hem of the robe with gold bells between them. The gold bells and the pomegranates are to alternate around the hem of the robe. Aaron must wear it when he ministers. The sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die. The bells are kind of interesting. There was lots of commentary about the bells. They are at the bottom of the robe and some think that there could have been as many as 72. Their purpose seems to have been to announce to the people who are, remember, outside when the high priest entered the most holy place so that they might follow him in their thoughts and prayers as he mediates and serves for them. That's cool. So I kind of picture the camp just going silent and everyone listening. Okay, he's putting on the bells. He's going in and they could kind of hear him as he walked through. Which and there's only one of these robes for Aaron, right? Only Aaron gets only this, Aaron. correct. The bells may have also served to remind the priest himself to be attired in his official dress to minister without would result in death. I didn't like that explanation. Like I'm putting on these bells so I remember I have to pay attention and not get sleepy and slack (laughs) off because if I do something wrong, I'm going to die. All right. There are other articles and accessories. So carry on with those. Verse 36. Make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it as on a seal, holy to the Lord. Fasten a blue cord to it to attach it to the turban. It is to be on the front of the turban. It will be on Aaron's forehead 
and he will bear the guilt involved in the sacred gifts the Israelites consecrate, whatever their gifts may be. It will be on Aaron's forehead continually so that they will be acceptable to the Lord. Weave the tunic of fine linen and make the turban of fine linen. The sash is to be the work of an embroiderer. Make tunics, sashes, and caps for Aaron's sons to give them dignity and honor. After you put these clothes on your brother Aaron and his sons, anoint and ordain them. Consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. Make linen undergarments as a covering for the body, reaching from the waist to the thigh. Aaron and his sons must wear them whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach altar or minister in the holy place so that they will not incur guilt and die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants. So we have the breast piece, you know, that's over his heart with the 12 tribes. And now we have this turban that's on his head, reminding him of why he's there to sacrifice and make atonement for the sin of the people. So again, every covering, everything he wears has a reason. And um, and as he puts those on, it probably was a really solemn ceremony of remembering this is this and this is this. And this is why every it meets the ordinances of God. The purpose for all of these was dignity and honor, but also to remind them, I think. And again, the warning to dress as commanded was given again so they would not die. Now, here we fall into the consecration of the priests in chapter 29. This will be a seven-day ordination process. Aaron and his sons will repeat the process described in this passage once a day for seven days. And it is thought that, you know, after Aaron died or whatever, the next priest high priest would have to do this same ordination. I do wish we had a little narrative here from Moses, because remember, he's up on the mountain. I picture him intently listening to God, furiously taking notes, and all in on the description of the tabernacle. It was going to be beautiful. But as God started laying out the ordination for the priests, like, did Moses look up, pause, maybe even try to explore other options? Something like, God, we both know my brother Aaron, and well, this is a lot of work. Like really, he has never even expressed an interest in animals. Perhaps we can have the butcher deliver the meat to the tent of meeting, and Aaron will just do the cooking? Perhaps we don't really need quite so much blood. What about a training or trial period? Because the error rate on this job is super high and the fatality rate with it. Maybe that is why Moses was up there for 40 days. He may have had a lot of questions because what we're going to discuss next is is not a good job for Aaron. It's not a good job for anyone. But first, he, he must wash, dress, and be anointed. I mean, honestly, I know this is a really solemn ceremony and, and this is a really serious part of the Bible and this there's I'm sure some reason for it but this is where I feel like a lot of people could get mm-hmm. at this point in reading the old even if they're trying to power through and they understand the Noah mm-hmm. and the flood and all the this is where I think people could start to go okay I'm out and I wonder if the Israelites was there something culturally where this was like all fine and normal to them because again just like when we were reading all those laws it just seems really weird why I don't understand why it all comes back to the blood and this this training he's putting us through to understand this is why Jesus dying on the cross was such a big deal. This was not like any other man dying on the cross um, because he was that perfect sacrificial lamb. Remember the first sacrifice was for clothes. It was because of our sin that an animal had to die to cover us 
from cold because now we felt cold mm-hmm. um, and shame. And so it's kind of the, this thing that we perpetuated. Um, but but God almost is making it so horrific that this yearning for a substitute is going to be like, please, God, just bring the substitute, bring the Messiah back because we can't keep doing this. Yeah, It would have been horrific for them even. It would have been really, really, like I'm going to go into it. I, I've often felt bad for Moses, but when I read what Aaron has to do, I'm like, heck no, not me. Well, I'm going to have a talk with Eve when yeah, I get there someday. When I get there. Really, for one bite of an apple, we had really? to like really? be up to our elbows in blood for years. <laughs> Let's continue and learn all about this priestly ceremony that Susan has been foreshadowing here. In chapter 29, this is what you are to do to consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. Take a young bull and two rams without defect and from the finest wheat flour make round loaves without yeast, thick loaves without yeast and olive oil mixed in and thin loaves without yeast and brushed with olive oil. Put them in a basket and present them along with the bull and the two rams. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe of the ephod, the ephod itself and the breast piece. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the sacred emblem to the turban. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics and fasten caps on them. Then tie sashes on Aaron and his sons. The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. Then you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Okay, here's my summary of the prepping instructions. Gather one young bull, two rams, wheat flour, olive oil. Wash all priests. Dress Aaron, the high priest, in sacred garments. Anoint Aaron on head with oil. Dress Aaron's sons and anoint them. That's it. Pretty simple. That's a summary. Now, one interesting thing. The Hebrew verb for anoint is masa, and the noun or anointed one is masayah. Mm or Messiah, just so you know where we are ultimately going with the fulfillment of this anointing ceremony in the future. There is hope and it's called Messiah. (laughs) Okay, now that we've prepped and we've gathered everything we need, we're going to have the first offering, which is a sin offering a bull. But off the mic, Heather and I had this discussion about just where this is where some people may check out because the whole animal sacrifice thing doesn't seem to have a point. And we discussed what we discussed back in Genesis. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing that they felt was shame and probably cold because they realized they were naked and God covered them with animal skins. That was the first killing of animals because of man's sin. And then it's just as perpetuated and grown. And and we have this ceremony now and these offerings that are going to happen for the next hundreds of years until we get to the New Testament to cover sin. There's going to have to be the sacrifice of blood. And it's almost gets to the point where it's, it's so hard, the sacrificing of blood. And I think that might have been one of the points is it was so horrific having to do this over and over and over again that the people were pining for the one who would end it all. And wouldn't it maybe make them think twice about doing anything bad because they knew they yes. were going to have to come do all Sacrifice. this? Sacrifice. And so the one who gets us out of this is the missing piece. And we're going to really cover that even more. It's it's really fascinating. Okay, here we go. Here's that sin offering, the bull. Verse 10, bring the bull to the front of the tent of meeting and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it in the Lord's presence at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Take some of the bull's blood and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour out the rest of it at the base of the altar. Then take all the fat on the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver and both kidneys with the fat on them and burn them
them on the altar, but burn the bull's flesh and its hide and its intestines outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Okay, so this is really cool. So hang with me. The purpose here of this offering is to clean the priests of sin because to be in relationship with God, one cannot have sin. So they're about to go in to the holy place and so they've got to be cleansed of sin. The life and blood of the bull atones for, wipes out, cancels Aaron and his son's past sins. This is an act of appeasement. They lay their hands on the bull's head, transferring their sins to the bull, the sin bearer. The blood placed on the horns of the altar sanctifies the altar as well as the priests. The best parts of the bull are burned on the altar. This is the bronze altar. We're outside in the courtyard, you know. The flesh and hide and offal, which are the internal organs, are considered permeated with sin and are burned outside the camp. The entire bull is burned, not eaten. Interestingly, Christ was our sin offering, and he offered his spirit to the Father, but his flesh went into the tomb also outside the camp. So it's kind of symbolizing the bad parts of the bull, too. All right, next we have a burnt or dedication offering, and we're going to use that first ram. There's two rams. Verse 15, take one of the rams and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it and take the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar. Cut the ram into pieces and wash the internal organs and the legs, putting them with the head and the other pieces. Then burn the entire ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. The purpose of this offering is to express devotion and commitments. Now that the priest's sins have been atoned for so they can please the Lord by offering. This ram is for the Lord. Its only purpose is to please him and the entire ram is burned, not eaten. Then we have the consecration of the priests with the second ram. Verse 19, take the other ram and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it, take some of its blood and put it on the lobes of the right ears of Aaron and his sons on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. Then splash blood against the sides of the altar and take some blood from the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. Then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. Okay, this one is a little different and it is a sign of fellowship. And it's also called a wave offering, establishing, and I'm going to explain the wave in the next part. We're going to read another segment about this offering. But it is, it's establishing communion between God and his people. A communion element is present because Aaron and the priests will serve God on behalf of the people, and they're going to eat some of this offering. This offering is by far the most peculiar, but significant. It was the final part of the consecration and implied complete dedication of the priest's life to the service of God. The parts of their body is touched with blood and they have meaning where they touch it. The ears of the priests are consecrated so that they may listen to God's commands. The thumbs are consecrated so so they could perform God's work mediating on behalf of the people. And the toes are sanctified so that they would walk in a way that is an example to the people. Again, everywhere the blood touched had a meaning for them as they went through this. This is their ordination. This is a big deal. From now on, their whole life is going to be given over to this. Was there a reason it was only the right side? I didn't read that, but good question. I have no idea. What if they were left-handed? <laughs> um, Maybe you can't be left-handed to do this job. I don't know. 
Poor lefties. Okay, this is the second ram, this ordination um, continued. Verse 22. Take from this ram the fat, the fat tail, and the fat on the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, both kidneys with the fat on them, and the right thigh. This is the ram for the ordination. From the basket of bread made without yeast, which is before the Lord, take one round loaf, one thick loaf with olive oil mixed in, and one thin loaf. Put all these in the hands of Aaron and his sons and have them wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. Then take them from their hands and burn them on the altar along with the burnt offering for a pleasing aroma to the Lord, a food offering presented to the Lord. After you take the breast of the ram for Aaron's ordination, wave it before the Lord as a wave offering and it will be your share. Consecrate those parts of the ordination ram that belong to Aaron and his sons, the breast that was waved and the thigh that was presented. This is always to be the perpetual share from the Israelites for Aaron and his sons. It is the contribution the Israelites are to make to the Lord from their fellowship offerings. The choicest parts of this second ram, along with three types of bread, are to be a wave offering. The priests will wave the items. Now, I, of course, pictured side to side. It's not side to side, but toward the altar and back, demonstrating that this offering is given to God and then received back by the priest for his use. In communion, he's going to eat it. The first wave parts are to be burned by God. The breast is the priest's share to eat. Now note, this is where I spiral out when I'm studying this stuff. The fat tail. I'm like, what is the fat tail of a sheep? I'm picturing sheep have these cute little tails. What are they talking about? So I Googled this. It's literally the tail from a type of Middle Eastern sheep. And these sheep have tails that can weigh up to 25 pounds. The the tails in these sheep, the fat is softer, more flavorful, and more nutritious than in other sheep. So it's basically like a big old barbecue. God is like, just just have a barbecue. It's so funny. You got to Google these sheep. They have these huge tails, 25 pounds. They're like, sometimes it's funny. They said even that the the herders will put the tail on a little wagon to keep it from tracking on the ground because it's such a like choice piece. Anyway, okay, carry on. Verse 29. Aaron's sacred garments will belong to his descendants so that they can be anointed and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as priest and comes to the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place is to wear them seven days. There you go. There's your seven, seven days. days for the next priest. Probably means he will have the same ordination ceremony that Aaron just had. Take the ram for the ordination and cook the meat in a sacred place. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, Aaron and his sons are to eat the meat of the ram and the bread that is in the basket. They are to eat these offerings by which atonement was made for their ordination and consecration, but no one else may them because they are sacred. And if any of the meat of the ordination ram or any bread is left over till morning, burn it up. It must not be eaten because it is sacred. Do for Aaron and his sons everything I have commanded you, taking seven days to ordain them. Sacrifice a bull each day as a sin offering to make atonement. Purify the altar by making atonement for it and anoint it to consecrate it. For seven days, make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. Then the altar will be most holy and whatever touches it will be holy. After all 
this, the ordination is complete. The sacred place where they cooked this meal was probably the tabernacle courtyard. We don't know. Aaron and his sons take their share and have a communion type meal. Now, I just want to talk about to be Moses or Aaron. <laughs> These two men um, have such pressure. And I keep singing this one song if you're like me. <laughs> pressure, the pressure song. I have always felt that I would never want to be Moses. He had so much on his shoulders. He had to face Pharaoh. He had to approach God and the mountain climbing and the clouds and the thunder and the lightning, then wandering in the desert with a herd of two million disobedient people. It was just a lot. However, after reading what Aaron had to do, I would take the people problems over the perfection pressure of having to remember the nuances of every little detail and the butchering and the blood, the sprinkling of the blood, the just like they must have smelled like that all day, every day. I literally, now this is seven days, but you're going to see that they do have to make offerings every other day too. So not this much, but still they were constantly, you know, A, having to dwell on the of the people, which is is really sad. And they probably saw it every time they walked out of the camp. Oh, Lord, I have to atone for that tomorrow. Oh, Lord, I'm going to be thinking of them tomorrow when I atone. Um, So they were constantly, you know, having to think about just the perpetuation of sin and just the sacrifices that had to happen for it. It was a really hard job and, and, and one that I'm sure kept them thinking of the solution in the future. Like, God, how long do you want this to go on? And that That's where we're going to go into this elaborate plan with the missing piece. This is a very elaborate plan that to them and to us does not make sense. And that's because we are missing a piece. After 400 years of no movement, Israel is ready to move forward. But this plan is just super complicated. And the odds for an error were a million to one. I mean, it's going to happen. And it does. Um, But God knew that. That is why way back in the beginning, in Genesis 3, he promised the one. He promised that one seed that was going to revert the world back to that kind of Garden of Eden situation. Um, The purpose of the tabernacle, of this elaborate plan for a space to have fellowship with God was to point them to the need for the one, the Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul knew that. He got it. Moses may have had the plan for the tabernacle, but Paul in Hebrews has the missing piece. He had he he gets that the high priest that will end the separation of the of the veil, the sacrificing of animals, giving access to the presence of of God to all is Jesus. And in Hebrews 9.1, Paul clearly explains why this tabernacle that we just learned about is so important to us even today. Paul is going to build, I'm going to let you read this pretty much straight. So if you're listening, hang with me here because this is going to really bring it all together. It's going to bring it all together and you're going to bring a sigh of relief. That that this is this constant killing was not. Oh yeah, because it's all, giving all me anxiety. You don't yeah, want to be Aaron. Exactly. I really don't want to be exactly. Aaron. <laughs> so Paul's going to build this case, and he starts with the history of this tabernacle and a recap of it and and the functions of the priest. And then he's going to pivot to the problem of this system and who and why is the missing piece of the tabernacle to the tabernacle plan. So go ahead, start reading. This is Hebrews nine. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship. 
and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonial unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the internal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who were called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because the will is in force when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all his people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. He is talking about the things in the tabernacle, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year, with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, 
So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The tabernacle, all that ritual was just a microcosm of what really had to happen. It mimicked it. But like Paul said, it just wasn't enough. It was, it it took Christ to enter not a, a tabernacle made by man, but heaven itself, the real tabernacle to end all that had happened when we were kicked out of Eden. There will be no more tent, no more blood, no more ark, because Jesus, the missing piece to God's plan, has taken his place and the physical tabernacle became you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? God's sacred space is no longer restricted to a tent or a building. It is spread all over the earth, as was his plan all along. You are a mobile living tabernacle. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.